Gonna have a real good time together We're gonna have a real good time together We're gonna laugh the child together Have a real good time together Welcome back. Welcome back to Jokerman Podcast. I'm Evan. I'm Ian, and we're thrilled once again to be joined by returning champion, uh, folks, it's Larry Ratso-Sloman. Great to be here. It's, the pleasure is all ours, uh, truly. Uh, and we're here tonight to, instead of just a, a big, broad overview of all of the trials and travails of Ratso, uh, we're going to focus on one more specific kind of subject, although I'm sure we're going to get to talk about quite a bit. Uh, it's uh, it's Artificial Intelligence, John Cale's 1985 album, co-written, I think entirely every song on the album, co-written with one Larry Sloman? Yeah, pretty much. That is uh, that is incredible and uh, not something that many folks in the world can say, collaborating with John Cale on music. It's you, it's Lou Reed, it's the other people yeah. from the Velvets, it's Brian Eno. Brian Eno. And that's about it. <laughs> it's Bobby a short Moore. list. Uh, Bobby, Bobby New Earth, Earth that's, that's right. Uh, last Day on Earth. Well, so how did, um, I guess, can you, before we even get into the record, can you just kind of give us a rundown of like how you and John got sure. to know each other and, and found yourselves working together? Because this, was, this wasn't the yeah. first time you guys had done some co-writing. There were some, right. uh, some credits on Caribbean Sunset and I think even on Comes Alive earlier. So give it to us. Yeah. Yes. So um, basically, um, we met through uh, Kinky Friedman. Mm-hmm. Kinky had a residency at the Lone Star Cafe, and um, I had uh, come off the um, Rolling Thunder tour in '75. Uh, did the book on the road, Bob Dylan, in '78, and uh, I started. Um, I was so inspired on that uh, tour. Uh, I started uh, writing lyrics. Um, I mean, I. Couldn't really write music because I, I I didn't I, I didn't know how to play guitar I didn't you know but uh, um, the, uh, so I did I did some I did I, I actually wrote a song on that uh, tour on Lyrics, Rolling Thunder uh, Rolling Thunder wow um, uh, called uh, Combat Zone because uh, they it, it, it's a long story how I I basically quit the tour. Uh, I was covering for Rolling Stone, and they were just castling me. And it's, you, if you want to see it, it's all in uh, documented in the Scorsese documentary sure. about Rolling Stone. It's <laughs> on Netflix. But um, so basically, um, uh, the, the they gave me a, a job, so to speak. Uh, but they gave me a room here every night, and they gave me per diem so I could stay on the road and, and write the book. And um, uh, one the, one time, Bob said, "Go to Boston and see if you could uh, find some hookers 
for a scene with it on the movie. For a movie. Not only were they touring, they were doing a movie, which became Ronaldo and Clara. Ronaldo and Clara, of course. So, um, so I went to, uh, uh, I spent two nights in the combat zone, they call it, which is where all the pornos, you know, it's like their version of Times Square. But in Boston. Smaller. Yeah, in Boston. And I got to know, you know, all the guys who own the strip clubs. Uh, I uh, hung out at the Howard Johnson's, which was open 24 hours, where all the hookers would go. Uh, uh, and uh, they actually, uh, <laughs> they used to barricade the bathrooms so the hookers couldn't go in and give blowjobs. <laughs> but uh, um, uh, so I wrote, uh, um, so when I finally lined up all these people and uh Bob said, oh, we're going in another direction. <laughs> so I said, I have all this data I accumulated. I should write a song about these people in the combat zone. And that's what I did. Um, so I, 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 I finished the song. I think I showed it first to McGuinn. And McGuinn liked it. And McGuinn said, hey, I'll write some music for it. Uh, and I showed it to Bob. I think it was on the... Um, train ride from Toronto to Montreal and Bob reads the lyrics and he goes, this is good. He said, this is, it reminds me of uh, just like Tom Tom's blues. <laughs> so it was like, I couldn't get, wow, that's fantastic. So that's I said, high praise. I'm going to keep doing this. We eventually played a couple of uh, times, me and McGuinn, went up to Bob Fass's show at the WBAI, which was the Pacifica station, you know, and uh, and uh, actually performed Combat Zone. And Mitch Blank, the keeper of all the tapes of Dylan and everybody else in the world, he's like hypnotist collector. So uh, Mitch Blank actually has versions of the, uh, from uh, Bob Fass's uh, sound checks of me and McGuinn doing combat zone. Wow. So um, so when I got back, when when the tour was over and I finished the book and everything, um, I started um, hanging out with uh, uh, Liz Derringer, who was on the scene in the, in the village. And uh, Liz said, you should meet my husband, Rick. He's always looking to write songs with people. So I said, okay. And I actually started doing... Uh, uh, writing lyrics for Rick, and we did about 10, 15 songs together. Uh, they're all collected, actually. You can hear them on my Spotify page, and it's uh, just Ratso, just like, you know, Madonna or... <laughs> just or one name know. only. That's all you need. That's right. That's all I need. And uh, is a, 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 I made a, a list of... Uh, oh, I, I, I put all those uh, songs on it, so if you want to hear the Derringer collaborations they were up there and um so kinky was uh um, at that time was staying uh in the city he had a residency at the lone star and um we met a bunch of crazy people through that i mean uh, uh i met all the new york rangers one day after a game the came, hockey team the new york rangers and yeah and uh and I was the only person at the Lone Star who knew who they were. <laughs> Come on, Ed, because I was a big hockey fan. I had written a book on the Rangers. So uh, um, so we got friendly. 
Uh, Bill Clinton came once. We didn't even know who he was. Bill Clinton, the pre- yes. the, for- the next Clinton president, one of the presidents of the United States. It was before it's when he was governor. <laughs> and Bill Clinton came in to the Lone Star um, during uh, there was a Democratic convention that year was in, in New York. And he had made a keynote speech or something. And afterwards, he came to, he's a good old boy, and he came to see Kinky. And uh, so we got friendly uh, through that. And then uh, well, Mickey Mantle came one night. It was just, you, you couldn't believe the, the diverse group of people. Wow. Um, and one of them was John Cale. So uh, Kinky introduced me to Cale. And um, we were talking, and I guess I told him about Derringer or something. And Cale said, well, you know, why don't we write some sort of, try to write some songs together? I said, great, sure. Yeah, I was a big fan of the Velvet Underground. Sure. Uh, and, Pretty uh, good you know, band. Kill solo work. So, um, and we started, we, we wrote in every conceivable way you could kind of collaborate. We did it together. We did it um, from scratch, writing songs from scratch. We did it where he gave me some music, and I kind of wrote some lyrics to it, like a crossword puzzle or something, <laughs> uh, you know. And um, we just had a lot of fun doing that. Um, I guess we started trying. To, I guess the first one, you're right, was uh, Caribbean Sunset. Um, and on that album, there was that, and uh, where there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. That's a great song. And uh, and then we did, I know we did, uh, um, then that Kale Comes Alive album, I think we did uh, Ooh La La. Ooh La La. We just <laughs> talked about that recently. We're big fans of Ooh La La. <laughs> some background on ooh la la what do you remember like what what was john um what was thinking? he thinking <laughs> <laughs> or at um, least what did he say about it uh if anything Where'd well i mean you know uh we wanted to write a song about uh um about all the girls at saint tropez <laughs> uh, going topless in the sun easy as that so, uh yeah so we uh uh I, I'd never been to San Tropez. I guess he had. Uh, so we just, uh, uh, you know, started throwing lines out together and uh, <laughs> came up with ooh la la. And then when I heard the, uh, the finished version, it was hilarious. It was <laughs> just great the way he uh, put the music to that. But it doesn't sound so, like anything really before or after. It seems like a lot of this stuff that you worked on with him kind of is singular. Like it, it, there's a there's things he did working with you that I don't, I don't know that he ever did again. 
it, it <laughs> seemed to access some part of John Kale that uh, only you could access. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was probably a function of uh, the times and uh, the drugs we were taking at the time. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> um, I'd like uh, uh, skipping forward a little bit, but the first song on, on uh, um, artificial intelligence is. Every, uh, was every, every time, time the dog, dog. Yep. yeah, and that's based on a true um, uh, incident. Uh, we would, you know, we would hang out at uh, Mary Lou's, which was uh, this uh, really cool bar in the West Village. There were uh, many uh, uh, people who purveyed uh, substances at that bar. Of course. And uh, I had a friend uh, um, who may know, who go nameless, but used to uh, um, he he dubbed himself the, the um, ladies' room as attendant. <laughs> he would lure girls into the ladies' room with a, a, hit a line or two a blow, and then he would uh, tattoo them with a big pen <laughs> for some reason. Okay. And uh, one time he did that to a mafioso guy's <laughs> wife, and he almost got him killed. I mean, the, the Tommy, who was the owner, uh, Mary Lou's brother, had to intervene and save his life. But uh, that was those were kind of crazy shit that was going on in those days. Um, so uh, we were driving home once from Mary Lou's to my house because we were going to, hey, you know, let's do some more writing. So, and we had a little packet of uh, Peruvian marching powder. So uh, uh, we can't, I'm driving a little Toyota Corolla, I think I had that. Um, and, um, uh, we took it. We went around uh, the park uh, in um, um, down by uh, Washington Square Park, and uh, we're coming down West Broadway. And uh, there was a, it was a it was a summer night. I know I had the windows open, and uh, it was desolate. There was nobody on the street, but there was a dog that had been tied up outside the uh, Morton Williams uh, grocery store. I think it was called something else then, but it was an all-night grocery store. Hmm. The dog was just barking. And I didn't realize it, but when I made the turn off the park, I ran a red light. And all of a sudden, I see a cop car behind us, and lights go on. <laughs> and I'm about to hit right where the uh, uh, Bleecker Street, where the, the next light is, and I'm going to John. Oh shit! What am I going to do? How can I get rid of this pack? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And John looks at me. He goes, "Ratso, the dogs are barking." <laughs> <laughs> he just repeated that nine times. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, 
I, I had it in my pocket, I guess. And, uh, and the cop goes, he says, you know what you did? And I said, oh, officer, I'm so sorry. I must have ran that red light. I, I just lived two blocks away. You know, so and uh, I'm 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 really so sorry. I was just trying to get home. We're really tired. And he goes, "All right, just don't do it again." <laughs> Thank God. And we got back. And I think uh, yeah. And then he 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 wrote most of the lyrics to that. Uh, Every time the dogs bark, that's the uh, the one. I don't even know if I got credit for that one, but that's the one aberration on that album. Sure. Uh, but there was uh, 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 we also did. Uh, I remember. Um, John called me up and said, uh, um, there's this movie, Sid and Nancy, mm-hmm. and uh, they want a song. Let's write a song about, for, you know, for the movie. So I said, okay, great. What should we do? And um, I, think I, I think I said, um, you know, everybody's going to write about Sid. Let's write a song about Nancy. Mm. And because um, she's a you know a world class pain in the ass, <laughs> and so uh, so that's what we wrote. Uh, 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 and and it was too late. It was called "She Never Took No for an Answer." Mm-hmm. Parking lot, Piper, alone in the tree. A fabulous disaster of an underground queen. She never took no for an answer. Never took no for an answer. And um, we finished the song, but it was too late to actually get it in the movie. But they put it in the soundtrack. So uh, if you have the soundtrack of Sid and Nancy, there's uh, she never took no for an answer, and that was one of the real fun collaborations we did together. Um, so that really brings us, I think, pretty much up to uh, artificial intelligence. And, yeah, the, there's a lot of things like that around this time that we've noticed. Like, there's a Lou Reed did a song for a movie. It seems like uh, there's kind of an, a willingness to just take those opportunities and run with them? Well, seems... yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, first of all, this is, you know, it's supposed to be like a, um, a countercultural movie. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's not like you're writing a, a, a Disney movie, a song yeah. for a Disney movie. It's not like you're, you know, writing a song for Shrek or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you mentioned Shrek because when John Cale actually has a song in Shrek. Yeah, of course. Um and that's a whole other story. I mean, yeah. talk about how that happened. But this is um, this is the first time John wrote for a movie, which would become something he did a lot, uh, or did scores well, and mean, all kinds of things. Yeah, but yeah, I, more scores than songs. Yeah. Yeah. scores. Oh, yeah, he was doing a lot of scores. Yeah, um, but uh, one day John calls me and says, "Give me all the lyrics you have laying around." I said, "Why?" He said. I'm going to uh, England to produce uh, an album for Nico. And he said, um, I'm actually going to finish the album uh, two weeks before <laughs> uh, 
they, they, you know, they contracted at X amount of time. He says, I'm going to finish the, the, the album for Nico two weeks early. So give me all the things you have, and I'll, I, I want to do another album. Basically, because the time was paid for already. Wow. Wow. So I give him, you know, everything I have, um, you know, all these uh, the different lyrics. And um, he goes off. And he comes back like a month later. And he plops a cassette down. And he goes, here's the album. And I started listening to the album. And it was amazing because he had done kind of like a, a Burroughs, Geeson uh, uh, cut-up thing. Hmm. Was, you know, some of the songs he took verses from one song, took verses from another song, and made it into a new kind of song. New song. Yeah, but all, you know, using all, pretty much all the lyrics, but just rearranging them and things like that. Some sure. of them was completely like... Uh, um, Dying on the Vine, he didn't touch. Mm. You know, wow. I, he made, I think, Dying on the Vine, he changed a couple of lyrics. Um, I think the original was, uh, I was living out in Hollywood. I was dying on the vine. Mm. And he made it, I was living like a Hollywood. Yeah, such an interesting mm. Which was a great, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun double meaning. I mean, if we want to just get into that song, having just talked about the first track, I mean, I really have to... So, Dying on the Vine was one of the first songs that I really got enamored with John Cale over, and I really loved that song, and then wanted to go and hear all of it. But um, it's you know a, a, one of his best songs, and it's actually one of uh, your songs. You know, it's um, I, I just have to tell you, it's like one of my very favorites. Dying on the Vine was um, occasioned by, um, I, I had a big crush on this girl that I'd met who, her sister was living at the Chelsea Hotel and her older sister. And I had the crush on the younger sister. And uh, um, the older sister had a room at the Chelsea and she was just getting over a, a bad divorce. And she had a little daughter. Um, and so um, I wound up hanging out with the three of them. And then the younger sister kind of faded. And then I started like going out with the older sister. Mm. And uh, and we, went, I mean, we eventually got together and were together for three or four years. But um, 
so dying on a vine was um, uh, my kind of experience of trying to uh, get close to this woman who was going through a difficult time in terms of uh, relationships and letting herself be vulnerable again after this really horrific breakup. And um, and so that was, you know, I, 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 I said it almost like in wartime, and it was like, you know, um, I've been chasing ghosts, and I just, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, it was all these images of kind of the, the futility of trying to, you know, make a connection with this person. Mm. And um, um, I wish I had the lyrics here. I mean, I could go. Uh, I could put them up I, on the screen. I've got them right in front of me. I can put them on the screen if you want. Oh yeah, yeah, please. Look at that. So uh, <laughs> I was with you down in Acapulco. Yeah, I think that was her name was Judy. Um, I think that way. At one point, we went down down to Mexico together. Um, uh, and and the William Burroughs line was uh, added by uh, John. Sure. So I was with really? you down in Acapulco trading clothing for some wine, smelling like an old Adobe woman or a William Burroughs playing for lost time. John had added that line. The, the genesis of this, I was thinking about my mother. I was thinking about what's mine. I was living like a Hollywood. I was dying in the vine. was actually another song years earlier that I, uh, that I it wasn't, we weren't writing a song, but me, Tom Waits, and uh, Chucky Weiss. Okay. I was out in Hollywood after um, the Dylan tour. So it was about 76, 77. Mm-hmm. And uh, the three of us were hanging out a lot. I was at the Continental Hyatt house. And, um, um, and we said, let's write a song. You know, we're just joking around. Let's trade lines and write a song. And then, okay. And I think I called it, let's let's call it Mother's Day at the Orphanage. <laughs> so that's, uh, so we, you know, we wrote like nonsense lyrics. I mean, you know, um, little Johnny was in the corner, blah, 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 you know. And uh, each one, you know, we were just having fun. And uh, then when it came time for a chorus, I just, came up with i was thinking about my mother i was thinking about what's mine i was mm-hmm. living like a hollywood but i was living out in hollywood i was dying in the mind because i was out in hollywood then sure and um um and then you know so when it came time i you know to uh, to actually write the song with john or for john eventually it would become for john um I had I, I I was going through my lyrics and I found these these my nonsense lyrics from me and Weitz and, and Chucky Weiss and um, I said that's a great I love that chorus let's just throw it in there. Wow! So the nut of this song is from like a decade prior yes. when you were just riffing around with Tom Waits. Yes, it's <laughs> oh, amazing. Wow. Chuck and Chucky Weiss. Yes. It really feels like so together. The whole song just works so well together. You would never know that it was like has all these like key points that kind of from all over the map. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, I mean, that's the way songs get written. I mean, you know, like yeah. um, Kinky, uh, Kinky uh, would always carry around a, a big chief tablet. 
uh, and uh, you know, whenever he hears something on the street, he'd take notes and stuff like that. Dylan does the same thing. Yeah. You know, uh, if you go to a, a Tulsa to the Dylan Center, and you can actually see some of the you know the um, permutations of how songs came about. Yeah, I mean, you know, he'll have little scraps of paper where he'll write, you know, little things, cross them out, and you know, uh, despite you know, what, uh, you know when he tells Leonard Cohen, oh, I wrote that song in 15 minutes in a cab or whatever. I mean, you know, he, he puts the work in. He's just a liar. Great, you know, uh, lyricist still. Um, so so we had that, uh, so, so I put that, uh, I was thinking about my mother thing in, and then I got back to this, uh, this wartime motif. Who could sleep through all that noisy chatter, the troops, the celebrations in the sun? The authorities say my papers are all in order. And if I wasn't such a coward, I would run. One um, of the best, one of my favorite lyrics of all time, frankly. If I wasn't thanks, such yeah. a coward, I would run. Such a great yeah. verse. It feels like like Casablanca or something like yeah. that. You know, oh, like yeah. Like hopelessly romantic, but doomed. Like Exactly. Really or like under the volcano or something. It has yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, then the last verse is, you know, I'll see you when all the shooting's over. Meet me on the other side of town. Yes, you could bring all your friends along for, for, for protection, which was a, something that Judy would do. I mean, she would have, like, I'd go to visit her, and she'd have, like, three other friends there at that time. So, I, you know, I would kind of make it sarcastic. It's, it's always nice to have them hanging around. Yeah. And, you know, in... I don't know if it came across that much in, in John's version, but when I did my version on my album of Dying on the Vine, um, I made it clear that, you know, it's, it's a sardonic comment. It's always right. nice to have. Yeah, you're never going to have that intimate, romantic moment. It's always going to be, like, exactly. buffered. Yeah, John's right. a little more kind of uh, stately and reserved on this one, which you know makes sense for his kind of approach and his kind of vibe. But uh, right. it's definitely, I think there's a he, he really kind of plays this pretty straight and serious as kind of funny and and um, um, yeah. you know oddball as it can be. I think at the time, I, I remember John telling me at the time why he connected so much to the song because I think his mother was ill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that was really weighing on his mind, wow. and uh, so he really connected to the the chorus. I was thinking about my mother. I was thinking about what's mine. Yeah, it's a really remarkable track, just because, like you know, we know obviously, and you do too, right? So yeah, this was mostly from your uh, your pen, your handiwork, uh, lyrically speaking. But like, if you're just looking at it on the surface, on the face of it. I'm just thinking about like where John was at in his life, and so, like it feels intensely personal. Like like it, you know, yeah. came came directly from his life experiences and the shit that he was going through, and, and right down to like the mother line, like you were saying. Uh, and yet, obviously, uh, you know, it uh, it came from uh, came from you, and um, and I, I think there's just really something magic about like this particular set of lyrics and this song just kind of making its way to him at this moment in time. It's serendipity, it's kismet, or something. Yeah. And, and, you know, years later, it's funny because uh, um, um, I got, not how I met, but I uh, I started corresponding with Jonathan Lethem, mm. novelist. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, I, I know what it was. Uh, there was a book that, uh, it was like novelists 
were influenced by music while they were writing a book. And Letham wrote how uh, one of his uh, early uh, um, novels, he said, the whole during the whole writing process of that novel, all I did was listen to Dying on the Vine by wow. John Cale. And so I wrote him and I said, hey, I don't know if you know it, but I wrote the lyrics to that. And he, it blew his mind. I mean, he couldn't believe it. He said, you're kidding. Oh, my God. I thought that that was, you know, because like you're saying, it was, it, you know, it really, John, you know, inhabited that song. So um, so we got friendly after that. It's funny. He's, he's a great guy. Let them. Boy, you just got, you got the longest Rolodex. <laughs> a couple other uh, just fascinating uh, tracks on artificial intelligence. I got, oh, but uh, on that note, also, just like the title of the record, did you have any? <laughs> yeah, no. especially right now in 2023, this feels like a very appropriate record to be, be chatting about. Did you have any impact on just like literally calling it artificial intelligence? No, neither did John. Really? Neither did John. <laughs> no. What do you mean? Jonathan Demi what? called it artificial intelligence. Whoa. W- why? How did that happen? <laughs> well, Where does Jonathan Demi come in? Jonathan Demi was over at Kale's house. He, Kale played him the album. And Demi said, you got to call this artificial intelligence. <laughs> was that a joke about <laughs> it not said, being written brilliant. by him? <laughs> So that's how we got the name, but neither of us came up with that name. Wow. Was he making a, some kind of reference to the fact that John didn't write the lyrics? That it uh, was like him? No, 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 no. No, not at all. I mean, he just, I guess for some reason, I mean, you know, he was a pioneer in, uh, you know, finding out about artificial artificial intelligence. I guess he re- just read a book about artificial intelligence or something. Who knows? But he said that you know that's what the music and the song sounded to him like. Fascinating. That, that would be a you know an appropriate title for that. I but it was originally to be t- called Black Rose. I think that was the working title. At least that's what I have read. It was, really? That's it. Yeah, the title black, would have been, yeah. yeah, the song. Black Rose was a song about a very precocious woman, young woman. And, um, well, we can talk about that with we'll me. Well, let's talk about it. I got, the, I got the lyrics right here. I'll throw them okay, up on the screen. What do you got for us? Let's just, okay. this is, this right. is, we're getting, we're getting a peek into the mind of the master here. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Everybody's melting. So I, I was, it was a hot summer in New York City. <laughs> so everybody's melting, but the heat just won't affect you. Uh, backlot Casanovas and black Russian defectors are here to take your picture away. Um, I know you don't have much space left on your windowsill. That that's a reference to my apartment on Print and Soho, and um, I had a lot of tchotchkes on the windows. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, that uh, she never seemed to be sweating during the in the heat waves. 
Um, wow. And then black rose, long thorn, white rose, stillborn. Um, <laughs> long thorn, I think, if, if I could remember correctly, was a reference to her nipples. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and white rose, stillborn, was a reference to our relationship. Oh, man. She was the black rose. I was the white rose. Uh, Standing brutal. on the corner, just banging at the moon. Just another little miss too much, far too soon. Man. Um, and it's, it's you know, it's not it's not the most so uh, good. positive. Uh, uh, well, I think when I eventually told her about this song, she, she didn't care that she was a little miss too much, far too soon. <laughs> Anyway, uh, dream street romance is not the same as burning love. You could light a thousand candles. You could wear your satin glove. That was a reference to uh, um, uh, what's it? Jackson, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah, satin and glove. You, and you could dance, dance, dance from here to Sunday. You could dance, dance, dance from here to Sunday. This is a great song, Radso. Yeah, I always liked this song, and I, and I'm, I'm uh, that's. I don't remember, but uh, if you read it, that uh, John was going to call it Black Rose. Yeah, that's uh, what I read. It really does feel like, you know, it's one of the more tender and gentle moments on on the record. And it does feel like kind of holds some of the center of gravity of the album. Um, It's very romantic. I'm a stone romantic. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell it was John. Sure, absolutely. I mean, he he really really like again inhabits this song and and gives it i mean <laughs> learning that black rose longthorn is about her, her nipples well, I don't think he knows. I don't well think but that's he exactly it right is that like he can right. take a line like that that came from one very specific place in your brain and give it just a right. totally fucking different di- different feel and different vibe going through his his mind in the way that he vocalizes oh it. yeah that's fantastic yeah. And, and he you know he I mean, he's got such a, a, a nimble and, and uh, inventive mind that, mm-hmm. that uh, you know, just little touches here and there just come, you know, completely uh, give oh, yeah. him a new meaning. But you, you gave him more than enough to work with. I mean, it's like practically already all there. And it, the ways in which he, you know, I, I frankly, it's just, you know, being a big fan of John Cale and, and like Jonathan Latham, maybe like, it doesn't seem like he would be the type of person who would allow himself to be to work that closely with someone else. Like it, it seems like he would be the type to pride his writing and have it be very personal and, and not want to cede that to anybody else. But that's apparently not the case in every situation. It is. Well, really... look at his new album. He's got all these collaborators on his new album. Yeah, like uh, every yeah. song's got a different collaborator. Yeah. I think collaboration but... actually has been kind of in John's bones from the very beginning, working with Lou the way that he did, right? Doing all the production work. Well, and, like, he was working with Lou, and angle. then he he worked. You were his Lou Reed for this period of time. I mean, that's just how it went. It, it's. It, it, it is true. You, yeah, I mean, I think he, like he's you... particular about who he wants to work with, right? And right. So, like, Eno, Lou, uh, you know, Patti Smith, the Stooges, I guess even, um, Ratso. <laughs> like, if you're the right kind of person, he's down to work with you. Nico, obviously. It's uh, right. real, real murderer's row.
This episode of Jokerman Podcast is presented by DistroKid. Over a million artists rely on DistroKid to distribute their music and get it into all of the places it needs to go. Your Spotify's, your Apple Music's, your YouTube's, your TikTok's, your Tidal's, your Instagram's, and any other streaming service of note. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy. With unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100%, that's right, 100, all of them, folks, of their royalties and earnings. DistroKid comes with tons of great features, including Mixia, which allows DistroKid users to put the finishing touches on their tracks in just minutes, getting a customizable and polished end result that anyone can feel confident in before sharing it with the world. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. So go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store to download it today. You know, and and, and years later, uh, when I put out my album, um, right before the pandemic, uh, I was being interviewed uh, by... Um, Somebody was, I think it was Billboard, mm. guy from Billboard, did a piece and interviewed me. And um, and then he actually called up Kale's manager and told her, you know, I'm doing a piece on Rat Silver on his album. Um, and I'd love to talk to John, or get a quote from John. Mm. And John gave him a quote and when I it, uh, when I read it, it just blew my mind. I mean, it was like such a beautiful, generous quote where he talked about, you know, uh, I was fortunate to be working with a, he said, like a world-class lyricist compared me to Dylan. Wow. I mean, wow. it was like, I couldn't believe it when I, you know, because, you know, you know, he's, he's, uh, Maybe it's a function of, you know, um, getting older or whatever, but, you know, he, he never was that effusive at the time. I mean, he, he seemed to, you know, you know, you never know, you never knew what kind of reaction you would get from John. Uh, not not in a bad way, but, you know, uh, and to, just to give that, you know, three or four sentence thing to Billboard, I mean, it was just... It, it, blew me away. I mean, I was I've, so, uh, so thrilled by that. I've actually got the, I just pulled up the quote here real quick, I, and I'd love to read it, just because it really is a remarkable kind of statement from John. Oh, yeah, uh, oh, great. He says, uh, he said, there are not many people with a natural bent for absorbing mood prose, even less that seem to walk in shoes as august as those of Bob Dylan. For that moment in time with Ratso, an album was made with a lyrical co-conspirator of the highest order. Wow. What a great quote. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I was just thrilled. I mean, you know, That's, he's a mensch, you know, he really is a great guy. Yeah, was men- just about mensch to say. is the way to describe him, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Uh, and, you know, he's got so many. I mean, like, um, you know, over the years, you know, we would, uh, uh, you know, especially after we moved to uh, LA, uh, so we would just uh, communicate through uh, emails. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he was always into, uh, well, you could tell from some of his work, but he was always into, uh, you know, high-end espionage and, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, uh, you know, he, he, he like, um, he knew like this, the email, uh, like uh, websites like Stratford, which was a uh, website that were, uh, uh, you know, made for uh, corporations to uh, kind of protect, uh, you know, their interests from, uh, you know, terrorist attacks and things like that. He had friends, uh, Israeli friends in the Mossad. So, I mean, you know, he just had such a... John know, had friends like, in the Mossad? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was in the Mossad, yeah. Does that have some... When we were talking about Caribbean Sunset, there's that song... Where you yeah, mentioned he, something about Israeli and Arab politics. Yeah, they wrote in the book that a um, uh, 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 an arms dealer from Lebanon came and visited them in the studio. Yeah, we, uh, we didn't even talk about why that happened. <laughs> I think we just glazed over, like, well, okay, that happened. Well, like, now, now, now that he apparently had friends in the Mossad, that makes perfect sense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Jesus. Well, this is great. You guys have this uh, uh, well of information at your fingertips. We, you know, <laughs> someone's got to do it. <laughs> there, one other song I want to make sure that we talk about, because this is one of my favorite songs on the record, and it, it, to me it's a really fascinating lyric, is the third song right after Dying on the Vine, The Sleeper. <laughs> okay. Uh, I can throw the lyrics up on the screen for this one that's, too. That's one of the. Uh, that's one of the cutups. The first two verses are from one song, mm. uh, which is might have might have been "Vigilante Lover." Mm-hmm. I think uh, that that was my original song, "Vigilante Lover." That, uh, I gave him lyrics to that. But your mailbox is always empty and your landlords always complain. You try to forget your past, but it's just adding to your pain and it's time for one more cigarette. And then, and then uh, I am the sleeper was John's. I am the sleeper. I am the sleeper. All of a sudden, I am the sleeper comes into the song that I, <laughs> you know, I didn't know what it was, what, what that was, but it was great. Yeah, that uh, to me has always been the part that's like, what the what the fuck is he talking about? I'm the sleeper. Like it's such a fascinating phrase, and the way that he just kind of plugs it in there in between verses, like seems really significant to me. So I guess it makes sense that that's just that's a Johnism, right? And then, uh, uh, oh, it used to feel so right. Everything seems new. I haven't changed. It isn't it me. Isn't what me. is wrong with you? Is <laughs> from a song called "What Is Wrong with You," <laughs> and so he just took four lines from that song, and then again, I am the sleeper. And uh, then, so the sun came up, and you come back. The door was open wide. I should have slammed it in your face. I should have shot you in the back. That's what Jesus would have done if Satan had come and looked him in the eye and said, you're my kind of guy. Why don't you come away with me? Because I love you. I love you. That's what she said. I love you. I love you. I'd rather speak to Satan himself. I love that verse. That whole thing is just amazing. Right. That, that's right. what she said. And then and then, they, then he's the sleeper. He's the sleeper. All right. Turns out John's the sleeper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating song that kind of you could turn around again and again and find different little things to love about it. Um, it's musically, it's really, and we we haven't really talked much about like the sound of the record, but it's a very unique sounding album. Like the whole thing has kind of this 
like sounds that are popular in the eighties, but they're not being used like most people are using them. Right. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it it's it's got a lot of synthesizers, got a lot of kind of synthesized percussion and stuff like that, but deployed in a very kind of John like right. manner, very stately, yeah, you know, very measured. Um, what's, what's the next song after Sleepo? That's uh, the, it's, that's Vigilante Lover. Here we um, go cuz this is he's rocking at this point. There's a little more kind of edge to right. this one. What uh, what inspired the 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 idea of vigilante lover? Uh, I mean, um, you know, uh, again, you know, it's it's uh, you know, a, a woman. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's all, it's, yeah, I'm seeing a common theme emerge here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, um, vigilante is just such a. It's a. There is, I think, the what is it the is it. New Order has a song called Love Vigilantes. Mm-hmm. Which That's I think, a great song. No, I, never, I, like I never heard came that. But, after uh, even, but, I think uh, it had something to do with that uh, the subway vigilante in New York City. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, because like in the verse three, the air was heavy over the village square. That you know, that's uh, uh, that's in in, in well, I mean, didn't take place, but that. Is written about Paris and about this, the the people around uh, the uh, Brittany girl. Wow! Uh, you know, it's not every day the auction off despair. There were voices floating in the country air. Secret policemen watching everywhere. Anyone could have cracked the code. Anyone could have cracked the code. That's all from uh, so many know, great you know, lines in here. That's fascinating because that that like that verse in particular really fucking screams. John's Mossad connections and fascinations, yeah, that espionage, espionage yes, and like spy right. shit. But that's not <laughs> that's not him, yeah. yeah. And, and the next verse, I drive a stolen car. I got a monkey jaw that makes the blood run cold. <laughs> I see through windows, and, but nothing you can touch me at all. What's a monkey you, jar? Yeah, can you tell us what a monkey jar is? Um, a woman's breasts. I, 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 I think that I think that was a, a, a kale uh, phrase. Okay. Um, I see through windows, hear through walls, but nothing you can touch me at all. But I wouldn't feel so forlorn. There must be saved some saving grace. I hear the Rosicrucians just hit town. They're all the Rosicrucians. Was that you? Yeah. Wow. Brittany girl again. No, that was a vigilante lover. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, it's all vigilante um, lover at this point. Yeah. Well, it's and John's some, vigilante lover. Yeah, there's a couple vigilante love vigilantes at yes, work here. But uh, um, now the Rosicrucians, because you know, I, I, at that time I was reading a lot of the cult uh, stuff, the Manly Hall and stuff like that. Wow, that's something um, you're still interested in? Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, um, now it's it's mostly I read it kind of with. Uh, uh, attachment and and it's you know it's and a lot of that stuff is uh, like just crazy shit that i like to read like sure. conspiracy theories and stuff like that you know that that david Icky's that moron and, yeah the lizard people yeah, yeah of course you know it's david it's Icky. So, but uh 
Yeah, I think he. Yeah, I, I think John really loved uh, being able to sing the word Rosicrucians. Oh, yeah, that, sure. that is a word made for John Cale to sing. I also just have to say, um, what's the uh, next song? Oh, the next. Well, the next one was uh, Chinese Takeaway, Hong Kong '97, which is, which, uh, is instrumental. Uh, it's 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 just a fun instrumental. Um, right. He's putzing around, and then we go into Song of the Valley. reading um I, I i i guess it was because i had seen how much the bible had influenced people like dylan you mm-hmm. know his, his whole career so i decided uh by the way the song of the valley i think originally it was called dry bones dry bones yes is that a line in here no no i, I don't know but uh, I, I originally titled the song dry bones huh they say that love is like a flower that bows so graceful to the light, but I've seen most true love go sour and then blossom in the dead of night. I can't be certain of the hour who will bear that final kiss. I must assume it is a power who can deliver me to them. Man, I mean, did, uh, did you start writing lyrics? Like, when did you really start to just decide that you really wanted to do it? Cause was, it bef- was it not until you were doing the Rolling Thunder tour that you really just... I did some satirical songs before that mm. for because uh, I was friendly with Thule Kufferberg from the Fugs. Oh, wow. Thule, Thule <laughs> would uh, do these parrot songs, and they were just kind of like parodies of other songs. Uh, and I remember, uh, um, I remember I, it wasn't a parody of another song, but uh, I remember the time there was this young guru, Guru Maharaji, who was touring the States and Rennie Davis from the Chicago seven, uh, first is the Chicago eight, but then they got rid of Bobby Seale. So it was the Chicago seven. So <laughs> Rennie Davis became after, you know, after all the, the war was over and everything, he became a devotee of this little <laughs> fat young guru. And it was Maharaji. And I, so I wrote a, a kind of satirical song about Guru Maharaji. Uh, he really wants you and me. He's he's not. He's, he may be fat, but he's fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I gave it to Tuli, um, and so that was like the first, you know, real parodies or real songs. But they were parodies. They weren't really really lyrics. Yeah, so this is no parody. I mean, these are like real deal lyrics that are you know. I, I would just say, like, a lot of these, if you read them and told me they were Dylan lyrics, uh, I wouldn't necessarily doubt it. I mean... Well, I mean, you know, look, how could you not be influenced by, you know, your subconscious? Sure. You know, sure. I, mean, you know I, I was, you know, a Dylan devotee, you know. 
It's just not everybody can actually do it just by being, just by admiring it. Like, I really feel like these do, like, uh, you know. I always, uh, uh, to me, I mean, there was nothing like writing lyrics. I mean, I was writing, you know, uh, books, you know, I had, uh, you know, uh, uh, books that were in uh, the windows of Barnes and Noble, you know, when they came out and stuff like that. Like my hockey book, Thin Ice, was a big bestseller in the New York tri-state area because it was about the Rangers. And, uh, um, um, but to me, there was nothing like sitting at the bottom line and watching Kale sing your your lyrics. Mm, I mean, wow. to me, that was a thrill that was beyond any anything from a you know doing a book tour or some shit like that. Hell yeah! So um, yeah, so I mean, that's why you know, I, I to me it was always so much fun to to just you know work on lyrics and uh, to this day, I mean, it, you know, it's a tremendous amount of fun. See, Song of the Valley, yeah, that, that, that I guess he named it Song of the Valley because it was, uh, uh, I think, originally it was Dry Bones. Interesting. And and that was a, a, an image that was in uh, the Bible. Sure. Mm-hmm. A couple more. We got Fade Away Tomorrow. Okay. Love that's here today, fade away tomorrow. Love that's here today, fade away tomorrow. Love that's here today, fade away tomorrow. Okay, so this is uh, um, an homage to uh, Roxy Music. Ah, all right, I see that. Um, uh, and 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 in in these lyrics, I'm really trying to ape Brian Ferry. Sure. So uh, um, you know, and I could you know I could see Ferry singing. You know, they say every dog has its day, but puppy love was never my way. Yeah, that really does sound like a fairy lyric, doesn't it? Yeah, I hear your voice. Am I sleeper awake since you've gone? Love that's here today. Fade away tomorrow. Um, so yeah, that 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 is all uh, um, you know. This homage to 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 Ferry, and I you know I don't know whether um, I even told John that. You know, I just gave you know, Fade Away Tomorrow was just another lyric I gave him. Sure. And uh, and then, but you know. It, it really sounds like a, 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 you know, like an early Roxy music song. Yeah, totally. It sounds like it could be on the first or second album. Yeah, or, or like a Robert Palmer record. It has just kind of this. Uh, it's very buoyant. It's the poppiest song on the record. It's one of his poppiest songs. Period. Yeah, I think. Right, and then I put in that line uh, uh, in the second verse. Here she comes, full of white light and heat. I was gonna say that's got to <laughs> hey. be. You clearly you're referencing white light, oh, white course. heat. There. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, um, and with the walk, they could stop the cars in the street, and you know, and that's another, that's a fairy, fairyism, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah but, so, you know, John could have had another career as you know, sort of a you know, Lothario, you know, uh, uh, world weary sex pot type of guy, like the way that Fairy did after uh, after Roxy yeah, Music. He, except he was world weary because he was thinking about international espionage, right? <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> The Israeli-Palestinian conflict, apparently. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Well, And then we got Black Rose after that, which we talked about. And then the record wraps on Satellite Walk. (laughs) 
which I love this song, and it's just got some absolutely bonkers lines in here. So are these, can can you tell us, Rats, are these you, are these John, are these both you? No, no, this Satellite Walk, um, to best of my recollection, was uh, was um, the uh, one of the songs that we did around the time of Ooh La La. Okay, that, you know what, that makes sense. That does make sense, <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, you know, again, this is uh, like, uh, let's see, this is the first one. So who's that in the big Japanese car dealing sushi from a from German, the German bar? bar. <laughs> well, no one knows, but he won't get far. I took my tomahawk for a satellite walk. <laughs> that's definitely, uh, you know, that's something from my living room. And, you know, I mean, uh, that's John. I took my tomahawk for a satellite walk. I mean, that's definitely, that's, that's, a, that's a chaosism. Hmm. Who put the fishes in the deep blue sea? Who put the monkeys back in the tree? It wasn't you and it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> Who's been sleeping in my VCR? Who's been chewing on my PDR? <laughs> I remember I remember he wrote, Who's been sleeping in my VCR? And I, I remember uh, the PDR uh, was a, a response to uh, when I went to visit uh, Graceland in Memphis. Huh. Um, you know, they have a. Um, you couldn't go, you could, the, the tour of the house was just the first floor. You couldn't go up to his bedroom area. But uh, they recreated his bedroom in a diorama, kind of, in, mm-hmm. on the first floor. So I remember the, 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 the tour lady going, uh, and this is Elvis's bedroom. If you look at it, he's got so many books because he was a scholar. And he would read so much. And I looked at the books that were on his nightstand. And it was like Jess Stern, right? Reincarnation. (laughs) All these kind of crazy, you know, uh, uh, know, fourth-rate books about uh, um, the occult and stuff. Crackpot kind of shit. Yeah, crack, definitely. And then then there's the physician's desk reference. Okay, I'm that's saying, what PDR he's got is. That okay. Because he's checking every uh-huh. pill he's taking. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so I, yeah, I remember putting that, it was between like... That's fantastic. Yeah, I've never known what the fuck PDR even was. Because I, I, my association is like PDA, right? Like the old like pre-iPhone kind of things. But that's right. obviously not even what this is. So that... That's beautiful. Yeah, so it's the physician's desk reference. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've read. There was a thing about how Lou Reed also. Um, you know, this is a book that was well known to him. Um, I wonder why. Something about like there was a period where like all he had was like that book, and like that was like one of the few things he owned. And then there was just he was eating pints of ice cream all the time. So is this a song about murdering someone with a tomahawk? <laughs> Beats me. <laughs> that's a John. That's John. We got it. We're gonna have to get John on and ask him. Right. Yeah. I'm sure he would appreciate me asking a question like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Who's sailing in the? Uh, who's that sailing in the black lagoon? Who's erasing the face of the man in the moon? That's that. That line also seems to be a line that we use something like that in the uh, Sid and Nancy in the Nancy Spongeon song. She oh. took no for an answer. I think there was something with the man in the moon. Oh well, that uh, that brings us to the end of the record. Really, a fantastic uh, uh, album, I gotta say. You know, filled with just uh, uh, fantastic music, beautiful work from John in the studio, as well as obviously, as we've talked about, uh, some just striking 
uh, uh, lyricisms from you, Ratso. Uh, you got any other statements or, or parting thoughts to leave us with on uh, artificial intelligence, working with John in general, anything at all else? Well, I mean, you know, it was a great, great experience. Uh, it was so much fun. I mean, of course, you know, you had a lot of fun those days in general, you sure. know, just drinking, <laughs> <laughs> not, you know, nefarious drugs. But uh, uh, I'm just, you know, thrilled to see, uh, um, you know, how uh, John has never stayed, uh, you know, in one place. It's just, you know, every album he, you know, he's, he, you know, he's uh, like doing that respect. I mean, you know, he's going to confound, uh, you know, his fan base and, you know, do unexpected things, yeah. and they they they'll follow him because you know it's the the, the product is so great, and you know, um, I was proud uh, to be part of the uh, um, Hallelujah thing with John mm. because uh, uh, you know uh, at the time Leonard's um, manager, I mean, so-called manager Kelly. Uh, who eventually, uh, uh, you know, was charged with uh, and her and her accomplice were charged with embezzling all of that money from from Leonard. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, you know, she had told me then that there was going to be a tribute album to Leonard, and uh, you know, they had a lot of uh, uh, indie. It was, it, was, it was, I think, it was part of uh, Melody Maker or one of those uh, British uh, rock magazines, and they they put out a uh, uh, a final uh, thing with the uh, with the uh, when you bought the uh, that particular uh, volume, but uh, um, so she said, uh, you, you know, can you suggest anybody else? And I said, how about Kale? I'm working with him, and she says that would be fantastic. So I, I uh, called up John, and I remember he said to me. You know, I'm not that familiar with Leonard's stuff, uh, but what do you suggest? Wow. And I know, and I suggested um, that he do a poem of Leonard's mm. that was uh, put on, that was only on a live album called Queen Victoria and Me. I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing like a deep, deep, deep cut that nobody, you know, like Lou Reed doing. Was a foot of pride, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I figured in that spirit, John could do Queen Victoria and me, and it was, you know, Queen Victoria and he's Welsh and blah blah blah. Uh, so he, you know, he listens to that, and then we went to um, to see uh, Leonard at the, um, I think it was the Beacon, and um, that's when Leonard was doing uh, Hallelujah Live. Mm. Right after that album uh, finally came out, because Columbia, you know, uh, Yetnikoff, who's the head of Columbia, refused to put the album out in America. You know the story? No. Mm. Okay, so it's it's a horrific story, and and, and again, it's told in the um, documentary about Leonard and Hallelujah that uh, I have a pretty big role in, and it's uh, on, available on Netflix. So I said, so so Leonard starts singing this song, and John loves it. He goes, this is fantastic. 
I want to do the, this song. And I said, not so fast. <laughs> I said, this is a completely new version of Hallelujah. Leonard, the, al- the, the album cut has almost totally different lyrics. What you should do is you should get both the album cut and, you know, the other lyrics, the, the live lyrics, which, you know, the, the album cut was a much more spiritual song set in biblical times, mm-hmm. at least, you know, a couple of verses. And then the uh, the other one that he's doing on tour is a much more secular uh, song. Um, so, uh, so we... I uh, I call up uh, um, Kelly and say maybe you could uh, give John like as many lyrics uh, you know because Leonard for that song it took Leonard four years at least maybe more to write all the lyrics to that song he just showed me at one point he showed me book after book after book notebook just scribblings. And they, they actually reproduce some. It's really fun on, to watch it on the, the, in the Netflix uh, movie because they have all the lines. And so um, I was up at uh, Kale's house when I was living in the village. And, you know, uh, uh, at that time, everybody had a fax machine. And you know how when a fax, when faxes would come in, they would like start coming in and like pouring off the side and sure. it was all the, 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 the wrinkled paper and it was all coming in. Anyway, the fax machine was gone for like 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, like like hundreds and hundreds of verses to the song. Oh my God. So John then, like he did with the, uh, you know, some of the songs on uh, uh, artificial intelligence, John then, you know, he's a great editor. And he just took these things and he edited it into a, a version of Hallelujah. Wow. That was uh, put on that uh, um, that, that record. And, so he was literally just cutting and pasting different yeah. verses from Leonard's just fucking book length treatise on Hallelujah into his own version. Well, I mean, he basically was combining the two versions. Mm-hmm. He was combining the beginning and the, you know, the, the more spiritual stuff that was from the album. And the uh, the stuff that he was doing on tour, sure. the live the live version, and um, and it was to me, uh, you know, the best cover of, of that song. Oh, well, it's, it's more than just a cover. It's really it's a it's a whole, you know, some covers they just do the song, and this was such a deeper engagement with what the song is, and kind of like really getting down to the root of what. Even what people think of the song now, I think John Cale's version is really one of the more well-known John Cale recordings. Um, oh, it, it turned yeah. out made it into Shrek. Made it into Shrek. Well, <laughs> yes, but it's yeah. you know it's it's also just fascinating that like one of the songs that you know you went the super deep cut route, which is like probably. You know what, Ian or I like. If we were in your shoes, we might have been right. tempted to do that. But it's it's really something knowing that he wasn't aware of this song, and then you know it's kind of a an all timer that that we all understand to be now. But just knowing that he had this fresh interaction with the song, seeing it be played, and then directly while it was like still hot, like molding it into his own 
interpretation. He's a very much a part of the history of the song as much as, yeah. and as, as you are, which is, you know, it's a really. And, and when he does it uh, um, on the, uh, um, what was the album where he does it with just solo piano? Fragments for a rainy season. Fragments, yeah. It's a terrific. Uh, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, he just owns That's that as good song. as it gets. Yeah. yeah. It is, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. And again, you know, record company bullshit, uh, his his version doesn't appear on the soundtrack for uh, oh, for Shrek. Yeah, for Shrek. What? Uh, they used they used uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Rufus Wainwright. Oh man, Rufus Wainwright was on the same label that was putting out the soundtrack album. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it, you're right. I bet I bet John missed out on a pretty penny from the fucking oh, Shrek soundtrack yeah. sales sure. on that. God I'm damn. Sure. And 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 you know uh, um, you know Jeff Buckley. I mean, a lot of people first came to um, that song through Jeff Buckley's version of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jeff Buckley didn't even know it was a Leonard Cohen song. He thought it was a Kale song. Wow. He was, when he was first, you know, was turned on to it by Hal Wilner, uh, it was actually uh, uh, Leonard's version, uh, uh, John's version. So uh, yeah, no, to me, it's just. Great that you know John is still uh, uh, innovating, and uh, you know he's still just such a, a, an incredibly creative force. And uh, long may he prosper. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Thank you so much for joining us, Rat. So you got any plugs? Anything people can check out for you out there? Yeah, they could always go to www.ratso.org and. Uh, I have a merch store and sell uh, my records and sell my books and uh, you know I have uh, a bunch of books that people uh, seem to be interested in uh, over the years and um, and go to Spotify and uh, check out my uh, music. Check on the album, indeed. We'll yeah. put uh, we'll put links to everything in the episode description. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Ratso Sloman, thank you so much, Ratso. True renaissance man, a man <laughs> equally comfortable writing songs with John Cale and uh, writing about uh, New York hockey teams and hanging out with Bob Dylan and hiring hookers for him in the combat zone of Boston. <laughs> You've seen it all. Well, not hiring hookers for him, please. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Getting for to know them, excuse for me. For a movie. For the movie, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's always fun to talk to you guys. And um, if we have another album, uh, let's uh, get together again and we can talk about that. Absolutely. We would love to have you back anytime. I've been chasing ghosts and I don't like it. I wish someone would show me where to draw the line. I'd lay down my sword If you would take it And tell everyone back home I'm doing fine I was with you Down in Acapulco Trading clothing for Like an old adobe woman Or a William Burroughs 
painful as time. And I was thinking about my mother. I was thinking about what's mine. I was living like a Hollywood, but I was dying on the vine. Who could sleep through all that noisy chatter? The troops, the celebrations in the sun.